Hi, John. So great to have you here today. Yeah, thank you. Great to, great to be here. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to, to uh, getting to know you, getting to know your mindfulness journey. And today we're also going to talk a little bit about feel flow and what that practice is like and how you experience it and how you teach it to others. Mm-hmm. Yep. So why don't we start a little bit with how you got into mindfulness? What um, what was going on in your life? What were you looking for? How did you did you stumble upon it? Did you look for it? Um, how did it all begin? Yeah, it was kind of an all at once kind of a deal uh, for me. I um, was going from kind of secondary school into university. Um, I was studying uh, architecture and I guess I, I just had kind of a, a tough time with that transition from secondary school into university. I had, I'd never really had any uh, problems with my kind of mental health, you know, before then, but I, I, I had some problems then. I, I had an experience with uh, depression, anxiety, um, and yeah, in the course of just kind of wrestling with that going through that um you know of course got got some did other modalities as well to work through that counseling and so on um but during that time decided to try something i'd never tried before um yeah the it, it's funny the only memory i have of doing uh, mindfulness before then is um just as part of a thing in school, we had to do, you know, a guided meditation. Um, and I was about 15 or 16. And I can just remember myself and a friend, we just couldn't stop laughing um, throughout the guidance. It was just too... Looking back on it now, I think just neither of us could go there. We were too nervous and the laughing was in response to that. It was kind of a giddiness. Um, luckily, the teacher, I think, kind of understood. She didn't give out to us too much, but that... Like, that was my experience of mindfulness up until uh, this point when I was, yeah, going through this sort of mental health uh, struggle. Um, I, f I found an audio of uh, John Kabat-Zinn, his, um, mm -hmm. his body scan uh, meditation. Um, and that, that was a real kind of game changer for me. It was, I, I didn't need any, any convincing um, after I listened to that, that guidance. I kind of took the headphones off and just knew I'm going to be doing this every day um, for what turned out to be the rest of my life up until this point and it's it's going to I think continue um, so yeah that was my kind of introduction into it it was you know retreats after that um, you know consistent daily practice um, yeah yeah yeah, that's so interesting because my first track was also John Kabat-Zinn and I remember the body scan and same, having this kind of experience of um, this is really the answer, right? Like we have all these problems in the world or in ourselves, but it's in our bodies and our our constant reacting. Was that was that what you were, were feeling too, that, this, um, that there was something about being in the body and and experiencing it as it is yep a hundred percent yep that was my I would say that was my first time um, 
kind of noticing that there was a distance between me and the thoughts that I, that I was having. Because one, mm. one of my problems then was this kind of constant uh, rumination. You know, I had a lot of um, social anxiety at that time. Um, a lot of anxiety in general, just about where I was going, you know, with my career and all this kind of stuff. And it, it was always, I was always inside of those thoughts, you know, to, to, totally grip, gripped by them. And he does it quite beautifully in, in, in that audio where he just takes you through the different, you know, parts of your body. And it was after, yeah, like you said, I took the headphones off and I noticed, oh, I have attention in my body and then there's the there's that anxious thought that only 20 minutes previously i was kind of inside of i'm now kind of quote unquote observing there's 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 distance and that the the space in between me and that thought was very you know liberating i didn't know it had existed up until then and so yeah huge huge turnaround for me absolutely huge yeah Wonderful. And you said you did uh, retreats. Were What kind of um, tradition were, were those in? Um, in the beginning, so I, I listened to that audio twice a day, every day, religiously wow. for, you know, uh, a few weeks, a few months. And then I started looking for uh, retreats in Europe, you know, I'm based, uh, in Ireland. I live in Ireland. Um, and you know, John, I would have done a retreat with John only he was in America and it was hard for me to kind of get over to, to the States. And so when I was looking around Europe, I saw that actually Thich Nhat Hanh has a, a monastery in France, um, really gorgeous, beautiful monastery where he lived um actually and that was where i did my my first uh retreat um had a very sort of unexpectedly profound uh experience there and also met you know the world is so small i met another guy from dublin from actually a 20 minute drive from where i'm from in dublin um and we met there and then I started going to, I think that was a 10 day retreat. And when I got back, I kept in touch with uh, Mark um, who helped organize a kind of Sangha here, a wake up Sangha, a Sangha connected with Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, and that was, so that, yeah, that was my initial practice for a while was kind of in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh and, mm. um, going to that weekly sangha um kind of group um and then yeah it actually the next teacher after that was shinzen that's how i kind of got into unified mindfulness um but for those first couple of years it was it was uh Nathan, yeah yeah interesting and it sounds like the community aspect was something that was important maybe mitch do you want to talk a little bit about um community and the importance of uh connecting with others and and yeah maybe a little bit from mitch and then john too if that was an important part of kind of keeping the practice going or staying on track thank you paula and hello john um it's interesting because I, I consider Thich Nhat Hanh one of my 
teachers as well. And I, I, I'm, I'm envious that you got to be in Plum Village and, and actually see him while he was still with us. And, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's no question in my mind that he, he was um, a, a living Buddha, uh, as many have said. But um, I, I've read at least a dozen of his books. And uh, he, he's a... Uh, a wonderful teacher resonates in peace and, and harmony and compassion. Uh, if anybody out there has not read any of his books, I highly recommend them um, or his videos on, on YouTube and stuff. So what a wonderful way to, to, to get into mindfulness through Thich Nhat Hanh, a master like that uh, is uh, so fortunate for you to uh, have such that, that background and then meeting Shenzhen, who's also one of my teachers as well. So, what a great progression to where you are today. I could see why, you know, having heard some of your teachings, um, I could see where you get that compassion and, and that uh, knowledge from. And I could, now I can look backwards and say, I, I see elements of Shenzhen, I see elements of Tick, I see all these elements within your teachings. It's wonderful. But to Paula's question, uh, yeah, I mean, isn't that the basic, uh, one of the three jewels of, of, of Buddhism is the... Um, is the Sangha, is the community. And uh, our community uh, keeps us um, on the path, on the middle path. It keeps us, it keeps us focused, it keeps us disciplined, it keeps us where we should be. Um, you can't stress that enough. That, and, and your Sangha does not have to be particularly other practitioners of the same school as you. Your sangha could be your family. Your sangha could be anyone where you, anybody that you get that, that, that compassion and that love and that, and that, that wonderful feeling from that's part of your sangha. And, that, and they will be drawn to you and you'll be drawn to them. And it doesn't have to be very, very late. You know, I think it's actually anti-tribal. You don't want to be too tribal. I think that's where a lot of the problems in the world come in, is that we're so tribal. Oh, I'm Theravada, I can't mix with Mahayanas, and <laughs> whatever, whatever that silliness might be, is that, you know, if you look around the world and we see all the problems in the world today, political problems, are all because of this tribalistic type thing. So when you can break down the walls of the tribe and make your sangha, which for those who don't know, sangha is another word for community, make your sangha expand to all sorts of people of different beliefs, but they're still part of your same heart, same community. That's where the real growth and transformation and betterment to the world would be. And uh, that's kind of my views on Sangha. John, yours? Yeah, I, well, I yeah, totally agree um, with everything uh, you just said. Um, yeah, gosh, if we could just get a little less of that... Um, tribal kind of uh mentality what a difference um that would make and it's funny that it even sneaks into spirituality um which is supposed to transcend that but very often you find the same old thing happening even in the spiritual spiritual world of my my practice is more spiritual than yours and so on um but yeah for me personally sangha um was just huge in the beginning. I, like I, a lot of my friends weren't really practicing at that time. Um, so it was hard to, especially coming back from retreat, some of the openings or some of the experiences you have on retreat there, you, 
it's hard to articulate to friends, it's hard to articulate to family. You can feel, I certainly felt a little bit missed or unseen or lonely. Um, and like, it was, it was, it was Sunday evenings that we would meet from six to eight and I just looked forward to it every week. You know, even if you didn't necessarily talk about the experiences, you were with people who you knew were doing the, the same practice as you during the week were probably experiencing something like what you were experiencing and so that connection it just um yeah it was massive i don't i don't think i would have been able to um continue practicing uh without it it was yeah it was huge and then as well you know doing a lot of practice on my own sitting on the cushion on my own it it, it it makes a big difference practicing with other people in the same physical space there's just you can taste it there's something different um it's easier to go deeper it's um it's hugely supportive to have other people so um yes sangha was huge for me in the beginning and it's definitely something i encourage anyone i'm talking to about practice now um have some sort of sangha like you were saying mitch it doesn't have to be something so formal as a you know like the wake up sangha that i was going to it could just be a friend who gets it or a family member who has an interest in it but just have someone who on a weekly basis kind of monthly basis whatever it is you can just check in with um yeah it's it's vital it's 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 you you can't really have a practice without that part of it, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and that's also something that I love about the unified mindfulness in Shinzen, right? That he really uh, creates a, a group of people that uh, might be doing different practices, you know, just like we say in, in MT Mindfulness, that it has to be a tailored mindfulness experience for each person, but then there's still this commonality that we're all working towards a similar understanding of ourselves and of our connection to um, each other and the planet. Uh, so uh, tell us a bit, John, about um, when you met Shinzen. So was that through one of these sanghas? Was it something, somebody that they uh, knew? Or, and how did you get involved with Unified Mindfulness? Yeah, I, I actually met Shinzen um, basically because he had such a good online presence at the time. Um, he, he offered and still offers the home practice program, these kind of monthly retreats that you can do where you call in, um, which was a very new experience uh, for me the first time I did it, but turned out to be very powerful. Um, and it was Shinzen leading a retreat basically over the phone. You, you kind of called in and you left the phone on and you hear Shinzen guiding you through and there's a weird sense of other people around the world are calling in and doing these home practice programs with you. And you're, so, and this was before kind of Zoom uh, became the thing it is um, today. It was just this taste of kind of online uh, sangha. And then also Shinzen made himself available at that time. I was able to um, call him on his kind of personal phone. He gave me his number. He said, if you need to talk about practice, you can call me about about practice and I, I felt I needed that at the time I needed not just a sangha but like a, a teacher who was really experienced who I could kind of talk to about you know what I was going through um, with the practice um, and so 
yeah, he he just became my kind of, I would call him maybe once a month and just check in around uh, practice. I'd send emails um, and he was very responsive to them. Um, I ended up going on a retreat with him in California, one of his year ends. Um, and that was, of course, yeah, very uh, powerful experience and kind of met Juliana there, Juliana Ray, met Marcy Crawford there. Um, ended up meeting Harrison Hale there, who I found out about the Monastic Academy through, um, that, and I, I ended up going on to do some training there as well, um, and then would also ultimately kind of find out about the, the teacher training program there as well. Um, and, you know, again, yeah, that was at a time where I was kind of figuring it out out what I would like to do kind of career wise and it, it it just started to make sense with the the teacher training like oh mindfulness is kind of the thing I've been studying for the last four years so like why not just yeah teach that um yeah yeah that's really exciting and I know uh Mitch for you also the teacher the student teacher relationship is is really important, right? Or even you can call it a mentor or something. So, John, it sounds like there there were stages where you needed beyond just having a group of people that are have a shared experience, but to connect with somebody that is maybe just like a little bit further ahead on the path. So, I can give you a bit of um, of um, a, a vision as to you know, are you on the right path, or what should how should you be practicing? Uh, so, Mitch, do you want to tell us a bit about your experience with? Your teacher, because I know you have a, a teacher that you really love as well. You can't overstress uh, the quality, the effect of, of, of as, as Shinzen calls him, a competent teacher. Shinzen had teachers as well up, mm -hmm. until, up until recently. I mean, the teacher dynamic is just so important. And, um, you know, uh, <laughs> there's... You mentioned your teacher mentor. I, I prefer the term teacher, and I prefer because there's a certain amount of formality that that, that goes with that, mm -hmm. and you know, a certain amount of respect that goes goes with that. That I think your teacher is due. Um, becoming a teacher, uh, as we all have become, is is, is such a uh, a responsibility, such an incredible responsibility. And like I like I always say, you know, I was one of those people that um, if I read a good book, I couldn't wait to go and tell people about this great book I read. Or if I saw a good movie, I couldn't wait to tell them about this great movie because I wanted them to experience what I experienced in, in, in that moment. So teaching came naturally to me because I wanted them to experience all these wonderful things that were happening to me through my spirituality that I learned through my teacher. And a good teacher, mm. a competent teacher, Shinsen says, a competent teacher will know what works with you and what works with this student might not work with another student. So you just approach it differently to to get to that same thing. As we, you know, that's what Taylor mindfulness uh, uh, experience is all about. And, you know, like I say, there's lots of ways up that mountain, lots of different paths. Choose the one that works best. Don't choose one to, because that's the mm. only one the guide knows. So you know. Um, that, that's the important thing is finding that teacher that connects with you and uh, the teach you know the, the, the thing I found with teachers and studying other people who worked with their teachers is the difference with a teacher uh, as compared to 
somebody else you might meet in the psycho-spiritual path, a therapist or something, they have to keep a professional distance. Uh, that's the way they're, that, that it works. Whereas when you're with your spiritual teacher, you can feel the love. It's such an important part of the teachings to feel their love. And, and as a teacher, I'm very conscious of that as well. It's making sure that they feel safe, that they feel protected, and that they feel that they are enough. And they're not, you can't do anything really wrong. You can just, there's just different ways of looking at it. That's, uh, Shin Zen has famously said, um, like you said, find somebody who knows a little bit more than you. As you said, Paul, Shinzen, I think he famously said something like, um, if you've read chapter two, go teach chapter one. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah that's a good way. Mm -hmm. So that, that, those are my, I, yeah, I, I can't stress having a teacher good enough, but more strongly enough, I can't. It's, it's, I, I yeah. can't be a teacher daily. Or, you know, like, like John said, uh, he checked in with Shinzen like once a month. And that's fine, just so yeah. they keep you on track and so you have all these questions. You know, I've been thinking about this. What do you think of that? And how should I handle this? And what about my practice on this? And I find that I'm slipping over here. Just once a month even is enough to keep you going where you should go. Yeah. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, yeah, and speaking of different ways of going up the mountain, uh, today we we're going to talk about feel flow, which is um, – a really interesting um, technique that I hadn't um, thought about in that way, in the, in, in the way that, that Unified Mindfulness or Shinzen describes it um, in terms of feel flow. Uh, but interestingly, it relates to some of, um, you know, the body scanning that, that we were doing in, uh, with John Kabat-Zinn. So, uh, John, why don't you tell us a bit about what you, how do you define feel flow? Uh, yeah, um, and just riffing off that really quick, one of the things I really like about um, Shinzen and this kind of unified mindfulness system uh, that we use is I was kind of doing this body scan, you know, religiously twice a day, and but I would still kind of, I still wasn't really sure what I was doing. I just knew it was working. I, I can talk about it in retrospect now and articulate it, but at the time, I was just kind of, I know this is working, and just over and over again doing it. And what I loved about Shinzen was he, he articulated what it was that I was doing, He, he it, and in, in a language that I understood. Um, and And so... Yeah, it's it's great that we get to talk about feel flow today because it's it's an example of um, you know talking about some of these experiences that we can have on the cushion um, in a way that's kind of secular and uh, makes sense. Um, so yeah, feel flow for me. There's of course two words there: feel and flow. Um, so in UM we say feel is. Um, referring to any and all somatic uh, sensations, so any any kind of sensations that you're noticing in the body, um, that's what we call feel. Um, and then there's uh, this word flow, which um, refers to any movement or change. That's, that's how we define flow in the unified mindfulness system. So feel flow is just any movement or change uh, in your body that you're noticing it's kind of that simple yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. And Mitch, what, when do you practice feel flow? Oh, feel, feel flow is kind of my jam. I, 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 I <laughs> not so much feel flow. Flow in general is kind of is kind of my jam. Okay. And, and, and John said it's 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 like any change or or, or you know movement is flow, and that that's one of the things that I just love about UM and why it's so important in, in our TME program is that. I really don't know a lot of other training systems where they would show us how to use movement and change as an object of focus. And it is so, it, it, it's so all-encompassing. I mean, um, you know, we don't see life in snapshots. We see life as movement, as movies. And to be able to get into that it, 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 I, I could go on and on I mean I just love the whole idea I mean the whole idea of impermanence comes up in flow the whole idea of that great choreography ballet of the world this comes up in flow so yeah flow is to me is just everything I just love flow and everybody has a a technique or that that, that resonates with them most and to me with me it's flow it's it's um, mm. the, the the idea that we're witnessing change and movement and, and rebirth and all that stuff is so evident in flow. It's like hard for me to um, to switch practices, techniques sometimes, but I know I do because I like to keep stay rounded. But um, yeah, so like John said, it's all about movement and flow and sorry, movement and change. And that could be in, uh, it could be in the auditory world and it could be in the visual world and it could, could be in the physical world and it could be in the emotional world. And you know, there, every part of it has change and movement. And it's, uh, I think it's what makes life so beautiful sometimes. So I'm a yeah, big, big yeah and, so, <laughs> and it sounds like it's available at all times so it doesn't just have to be informal practice it could be like when you're walking or when you're doing the dishes like you could be noticing change right so and and why john why do you think it's a good idea to practice practice feel flow how does it help yeah um i th i think for a couple of reasons um So firstly, there's this kind of um, idea that we talk about in UM of, you know, when you're starting to uh, get into practice and you've got a technique going and, you know, you're reading about um, kind of Buddhist concepts and you stumble across impermanence and you read that everything is coming and going, everything is change or things are always in flux things are always changing and f for many of us that's um it can bring about this kind of cognitive um understanding um and it can kind of give you this insight it, it can bring relief to understand that kind of conceptually like oh yeah things are actually in flux things are changing um that's relieving. They're not as fixed as I um, habitually assume they are. Um, but then when you're doing the technique feel flow and you're actually paying attention to movement and change in your own body, the insight starts to go down a little deeper. You start to really 
it's not just cognitive anymore. It's like felt sense. I know that things are moving and changing. Not up here do I know, but I feel it. I kind of, I, I get it in my bones. Things are moving and changing. And that can bring about kind of a, a deeper relief um, from our kind of hab habitual suffering. Um, so that's one reason to practice flow in particular. It's to really kind of grasp this idea of impermanence, really like digest it and know it deeply. Um, and then a, another reason to practice feel flow in particular, because like Mitch said, within UM we can go, the, the way we work with unified mindfulness is, is kind of with all of our experience. We have it divided up into these three kind of simple categories, see, hear, and feel. Um, so you could explore flow in see and in hear, and it does come up for students first in, depending on the student, they might notice it in see first, or they might notice it in hear first. Um, but feel is a good one um, because it's it can be quite readily available. Things like the breath, that's a very simple one to just notice that your breath is constantly kind of moving in and out. It's never stuck. It's always flowing. Um and then also there's kind of, there's practical benefits that show up um, from exploring it and feel. It's, it's very common um, to notice it after exercise. Um, so you go for a run and you build up a sweat, you're kind of, the blood is flowing, there's all this kind of stuff happening in the body. That's all movement, that's all change. Um, and that can start to be explored as flow um, if you practice this technique. Um, so, yeah, feel flow in particular is a good one because it can be quite readily available, especially uh, in the beginning, to explore it somatically in the body. Yeah. 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 Thanks, John. Uh, yeah, it sounds also, uh, it just reminded me of how much change we've been going on, uh, going through in our world right now, right? And that can be kind of destabilizing and but then as you say once you start to notice that wait hey everything's actually changing all the time like it's not it's not like we thought things were stable maybe and not changing and now it seems like there's a lot of change but it, it could be a little bit comforting to realize that hey the things that are hard they're gonna change <laughs> and the things that are going well well you know enjoy them for now because <laughs> we don't know how long they're gonna be here but then when you feel it in your body like look at that look at the sensations in my hand look at what's happening um, and also related uh, John I also have had experiences with depression anxiety and it can feel like it'll never change right like the sadness will never go but eventually it moves like things start to move right yeah exactly yeah yeah and mitch how do you practice yeah go ahead mm -hmm. i was gonna say well you hit on something that yeah. was really important about feel flow is um for people who are feeling physical pain feel flow is really a great uh -huh. technique to use mm -hmm. um you know the, the, there's that old saying that um pain is inevitable but suffering is optional and Mm -hmm. With feel flow, we can work with the pain that we're feeling in whatever it is in our body and lessen the suffering. Um, and, and that's particularly why it's such an important tool to have in your toolbox. So we can deal when we do have these pains. I was working with a student who um, uh, had a um, 
was was just coming off a shoulder surgery, uh, and she was having a lot of pain with with her shoulder shoulder surgery, and she tapped in. We tapped in together to feel flow, and she was aware of the pain, but her suffering came way 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 down. So mm. it, it's, it's a great tool to have. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, that, that for for pain, it's wonderful. Better than in yeah, in that way, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, because it's almost like there's the two layers. There's the the actual physical sensations, and then the stories about it. Right. So when we can just be with the sensations, there's yeah less less suffering. So, yeah. Because what we do is, as, uh, I think it's a word that the Shenzhen uses all the time, is we thingify the pain. And, and, we find, and we create it into something that we can also release. If it's, a, if, it's a, if it's no different than any other sensory event, well, we are taught through our, our program how to um, note, it, note it and then release it. So, you know, if we could turn pain into yes. something that, that we can release... Um, that that's kind of the trick, and uh, it, it works. It works. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. It just works. Awesome. Yeah, that was a uh, a big one for me um, on the retreat that I did with Shinzen. That was one of my huge uh, kind of insights that I took away from that retreat was I was getting a lot of knee pain, and and one of the techniques that we explored during the retreat was feel flow. And I think this is a common one for practitioners as well is you've got this knee pain and it's putting you into your head because you're, you kind of, you don't want to go anywhere near the pain in your body and you're just kind of sitting there in this ruminating kind of suffering, waiting for the bell to come uh, so you can uh, stretch and relieve the, the pain in your knees. But I had an experience of just saying to hell with that I'm going to try and do feel flow on the pain in my knees and bringing my sort of attention to those sensations that I didn't want to go anywhere near. But now I had a technique to kind of arm me and prepare me to go there. And it was very interesting to notice that those, that kind of sharp stabbing uh, pain that I was feeling in my knees, it was moving. It, there was no denying that it was sore, but it, it's also, there's a dance there. It's coming and going and coming and going. And it's one of those things, I guess, you kind of, you have to feel it for yourself. But when you do feel that, there's a liberation there. There's a, the suffering does drop, uh, Mitch, like you're saying, with the, the kind of shoulder pain and stuff. When, you, when you're taught how to go there skillfully, the, yeah, the suffering drops significantly. Yeah. Wonderful. And how would you uh, start to teach a, a new student if they wanted to learn feel flow? Maybe some of the people listening, they like this idea of starting to practice. It makes sense. So how would you start? Yeah, I, I usually start it with the breath. I think that's a yeah. really simple one. Um, yeah, just as simple as... Um, of course, you know, when you're teaching people and initially there's the problem of well you're telling me to focus on this thing but i'm i'm just thinking all i'm doing is thinking mm -hmm. so reassuring people that that's okay thoughts are 
it's totally normal that when you sit down and be, try to be quiet for a couple of minutes that that's when your mind is going to be at its most active or you're, you're going to notice um, during those times just how active your mind has been. Maybe you didn't even notice throughout the day just how much thinking was there, but now you sit down and it's like, wow, it's active here. So reassuring people that that's okay, doing their best to bring their attention to whatever sensations they're noticing in their body, start to notice sensations associated with the breath, and then just simply notice that those sensations are moving. They're coming and they're going. Um, something as simple as that is, uh, mm. is a good place to start, I think. Yeah, that's great. And what about you, Mitch? Do you start with breath as well, or do you do something different when it comes to teaching feel flow? Breath is great, but I, I explain to my students that just that body scan that we all use, well, I use a lot of body scan too, but the body scan, moving your attention from one part of your body to another part of your body, is also flow. That's movement of, your, of where you're face, placing your, your, uh, your awareness. So that is flow in itself as well. Um, you know, uh, if, you could, if you're one of those people that can focus in on their heartbeat as well as their breath or something, that's flow as well. Um, you know, so there's lots of ways to feel flow. And, um, you know, again, I, I, I want to try to keep this as secular as I can. But, you know, in, in the four foundations of Buddhism, would they go to the body to explore the body as one of the big, uh, foundations uh, uh, to find mindfulness and and and, and, and play, increase pleasure and everything. So yeah, it's um, there's so many ways that we could explore, feel, flow, and so many there's so many things happening in our body that we just never really focus on until and, and you know you, and, and as you said, Paula, you could do this when you're on the cushion and practice in stillness, or you could do it as John said after a run, or you can do it when you're walking your dog, or you could even do it when you're driving your car and, you know, what, but be careful <laughs> and watch how you're on yeah. the road and things like that. So, yeah, it, that, that's one of the reasons that it's so all-encompassing flows because we do have so much movement around us. and it, It's wonderful to, to know that, you know, as you said, Paul, so skillfully, bad stuff is going to go away and enjoy the good stuff because that's going to go away too. And that's how you live a happy life. Yeah. Yeah, so lovely. So using the body, the different parts of the sensations of the body, but also, Mitch, I like how you you mentioned that just moving your attention is also moving, right? Like you can move it from one, one part to the other. There's the breath option. Um, and in terms of challenges, I know for me, just one recently, I was mentioning about the sadness. I, I was on a retreat and I was telling my teacher, oh, it seems like it'll never go away. And one of the challenges for me, it seemed like I was wanting it to move, like I wanted it to move. And, and she kind of wisely pointed out like, well, just imagine like if you had an elbow pain over here, you could bring your attention to somewhere else, right? Like you don't have to kind of, you could focus in and, and see how it changes. But as soon as you start feeling like you're trying to make a change, it can be counter counterproductive, right? Like, do you find that or... Uh, what are some challenges that you find with um, with this feel flow practice? Maybe I'll go to John first, and then it's challenges and opportunities, windows and walls, as they say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally relate to that one. Um, just yeah, you want to 
you you go on your cushion and you want it to be like last time you know it's like <laughs> what the heck the the last hit i was noticing these sensations moving they were coming and going i was blissed out and now it's it's just it's a, it's another wall of suffering and i can't find that movement again um and then yeah i guess the the trick is as humbling as it is is to notice that you know that self has arisen again that wants things to be kind of other than how they are um and kind of having equanimity with that you know that's something i encourage people to do every sit is is to try and welcome your experience as it is um and then go about your technique or your practice but that is not always easy um especially when we're going through uh, a difficult um experience um so yeah and kind of choosing our battles as well you know maybe if it's not happening um in that particular sit or at that particular moment um you know if you have a skillful uh teacher or mentor they can say hey you know why don't we try another technique or why don't we so something else has come up in your experience now why don't we explore that with uh this technique and then you know that highlight reel of uh experiences that you want to happen now they, they'll come uh again in the future but for now let's let's work with uh with where we're at um so yeah um yeah yeah so wise yeah, yeah equanimity right uh, yes. as it is not as we'd like it to be yes. <laughs> it's the tough one <laughs> what about you mitch any any walls that you've encountered with field flow and have you dealt with the challenges turn them into opportunities field flow it's a question of accessing it and sometimes it's not easy to access and what mm. we understand also is it can be really subtle so, you know, you might be looking for this great big movement that's going to give you such insight into the inner workings of life, and it doesn't occur. And then you start to get down on yourself, and you start to say, this isn't working, or why isn't this working, and all, all that stuff. Like John said, you, you start to doubt yourself. Uh, one, of the, one of the hindrances, you, you doubt, uh, skeptic, skepticism. And as Shinzen always says, you know, subtle is significant. So in those instances, I say try to find even the smallest thing that you can access and focus on that subtlety. You'll, you'll see that it grows. Um, mm -hmm. but, but also, we also have to be patient. That the, That's what TME, the Tailored Mindfulness Experience, is about too. If it's not working for you at that moment, not every technique works for everybody at, at all times. Um, like John says, sometimes there's something else that's dying to come out in some other technique. Well, don't deny yourself that. Um, you know, a lot of times um, we talk about uh, this big toolbox we have with, I don't know, 50, 60 different techniques that, that we have at our disposal, and we say it's like going to um, a buffet. And sometimes at the buffet you want to start with the pizza, and sometimes you want to start with the meatballs or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's, it, it, you know, to go to what, what's calling to you. And, and, and that's the benefit. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not one that says, that, that, that like it's oh it's not working bail right away give it a fair shot see if you can find right. sanity yeah but don't beat yourself up if it's not doing just try something else yeah yeah it's really wise 
And that's, again, going back to why it's good to have a friend or a teacher or a mentor to help you figure that out so you don't spending too much time on what should I practice, right? Like just pick something, but if it's really not working, you can do something else. That's wonderful. I'd like, um, John, I would love for you to guide us through uh, a little micro hit of Feel Flow. But before we do that, because that would be a nice way to end, is there anything you want to share about your current practice now? You know, how does it compare to when you started? What, what changes have you seen? And also, what are you teaching um, and sharing with your students? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, one of the biggest changes that I've noticed um, over the last few years is kind of, and it's something I worked a lot with, uh, with Shinzen, is it's just the structures are in place now you know he has these um kind of pillars of practice that we talk about in unified mindfulness um yes. you know get support you want to tell us yeah go ahead yeah. tell us about so those yeah get support give support um retreat practice and then uh strategies for practice in daily life mm -hmm. um these are the kind of pillars that you want to uh, put in place for a kind of lifetime of practice. And they, they all kind of support each other and work off of each other. And if one's not there, it makes the others a lot harder. Um, and so that's, that's a lot of what I do um, with uh, people who I'm coaching at the moment is just help them make sure that those structures in, are in place. They're the hardest really to, to build um, in the beginning. Um, but once they're there, they, they kind of, you don't even have to think about it. You know, two retreats are going to happen this year. Um, you've, you kind of, you've set aside that time. You, you might've had to fight or wrestle or, you know, especially if you have family and work commitments and stuff like this, it's hard in the beginning to, to make that time. But yes. once you've made it, mm -hmm. now that pillar is there and that's going to support uh, your practice. So that, that's, that's been a big kind of uh, shift for me over the last few years of practice is just noticing like, oh man, it was worth putting in the work to get those pillars up because now, now they're, I can feel them really supporting my practice. I, I, it's, it makes my practice much uh, easier having those pillars um, in place. Yeah, I, I, did that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Um, that gives support and get support are really interesting because like we're not again just to it seems to be a theme in our conversation that we don't do this alone right and if you try to do it alone you can get really overwhelmed and confused and there could be more thoughts about it so that you're um getting support from other people but it's also interesting the gift support like that even in subtle ways just by the way you show up uh, that can be a, a reward, right? A benefit that that keeps us practicing. Uh, Mitch, do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience of that? What uh, what the pillars are for you, and um, which ones you like and are helpful? They're all important. Uh, your daily life ones, as we know, mm -hmm. are divided up between um, micro hits, uh, formal practice. And background practice and formal practice could be further divided into practice in motion and practice in stillness. Uh, and, you know, we work around all that so our day is complete as it is. We don't have to find an extra four hours a day to, to do our stuff. We could do it at the same time. And so that's important. And, and finding the time for mm -hmm. 
You don't have to go on a retreat every week or every month. You can do them once a year, twice a year, quarterly, whatever you want. Once a year, yeah. It it all kind of works. And, you know, having that that sangha there too, that community of people who who do care for you and are on somewhat the same path of you, whatever that might be, uh, to to support you and to, you know, I also find the sangha is really great for giving you the feedback that um, when you're in a good place, people will see it and know it. And they'll say, wow, you seem so happy. You seem so good. And so that's just like, it just gives you that, 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 that validation. Yeah, I do. I am in a good place. And there's reasons for that. And, you know, so even if it's just that, it, 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 it's wonderful. And so all these, you know, all these things and, uh, and, and giving support and getting support, like that's the wonderful thing about, um, Empty Mind Consultants, and, uh, you know, we, we're opening the first co-op for all mindfulness instructors, and I know that if I'm stuck on an issue, I have, I could call John, or I could call Paul, or I could call Dave, I could, you know, and say, I'm messed up here, what do you think of this, does this make sense? So we're really fortunate that the more people we can get involved, that the more support we build for ourselves, and that we can give out support to others, so, yeah, every one of those pillars is important. Every- yeah, thank you. Yeah, so maybe, John, anything else you want to share with us before you lead us through uh, a little practice for our listeners? Um, Maybe just a a brief note on the practice that we're going to do now. Um, Just this idea of a micro-hit. I love... I I just... I love micro-hits. I love... um, I love working with uh, students on micro hits as well because they were they were huge for me in the beginning. I was trapped in this notion that I was getting all of this stillness and this um, kind of peace from the the guided meditations I was doing from John Kabat-Zinn, and then I'd go into a social situation and it'd be like game over. I can't find it, um, and so micro hits are a really powerful way to start to bring whatever you're touching in your formal practice that you do in stillness or that you do in a quiet room or whatever it is for some extended period of time. They're a great way to start to bring that into daily life, into that interaction with your your family, your friends, your, your, your workplace. Um, it's not an overnight deal, but once you have it and you understand them, um, they're really powerful um, and all they are is a period of practice um, that lasts anywhere from say 30 seconds to under 10 minutes it's just a small window of practice that you can do um, anywhere anytime um, and yeah like I say once, once you start to once you, once you start to see, you take a chance on one, you say, okay, I'm going to try a micro hit before this meeting and see if what they're talking about is true. Once you see that it actually works, it's, it'll change, it'll change your, your practice completely. Because then instead of having this 10 minute practice a day that you were doing, now you've got this 10 minutes that you do at some point throughout the day, but it's also three minutes here, two minutes there, another three minutes there. And they all start to add up um, and kind of build off of each other. So, yeah, I just wanted to share, you know, a little bit about the micro hit itself, what it is and and, and how it can be used. Um, Yeah. Perfect. 
Thank yeah. you. Yeah, so maybe we can dive right into Let's yeah, just a couple it. of minutes. Yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. So wherever you are, just take a second to get comfortable. Um, you can have your eyes open or closed. I prefer eyes closed, especially in the beginning. I think it just helps uh, shut out um, anything in the room we're in and so on that might be distracting can kind of help rein our attention in and just take a quick second to check in with your posture you're not too far kind of slouched forward or you're not too much leaning back just a somewhat straight posture and for the next minute or so we're going to explore the technique feel flow so firstly I'd invite you to notice what's present in your experience could be sounds in the room you're in it could be thoughts emotions Just do your best to welcome that experience as it is. And then slowly start to notice what sensations are present in your body. Could be temperature of your body, clothes against the skin. Could even be emotional type body sensations, a sadness in the eyes, a happiness in the belly. Just notice what's present in your body. And now just notice, is any part of that experience moving or changing? So a very concrete example of this would be your hands, if they're on your laps or if they're together. Just notice, is there any kind of tingling pins and needles? If so, then that's, that's movement, that's change in the body. And of course, the big one, breath. Just noticing the breath wherever it is. Could be in the chest or the belly and notice how that's moving. You don't need to make these sensations move, you can just notice them as they are, keeping track of them moment to moment.
and when you're ready slowly opening your eyes if they were closed and just reconnecting with the sights and sounds of the room you're in the only downside of these micro hits is I I'm always left with the feeling I wish I could practice for longer um, so if you do feel like going and practicing some more do but um, yeah thanks for joining in that micro hit Thanks so much, John. That was so lovely. Mitch, do you have any final thoughts before we close for today? I'm just happy that uh, people might know John. He's fairly new to MT Consultants. He'll be handling uh, European territory. And it's an honor to be uh, a colleague of his and uh, just making us all that much better than Team Mind Consulting. So thank you, John, for joining us. And Paula, always, my love, thank you for just being Paula. Thank you both so much. This was really, really wonderful. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Thanks, guys. See you soon. See ya.